And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, <laughs> when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the captivating Lisa Wolf. In this hour, it's a true crime case dramatized on Somebody Knows, starring Charlotte Lawrence from 1950. But first... It's Beat the Host. In order to beat the host, a Hollywood 360 listener contestant named Renee must correctly answer more true or false questions about Jimmy Buffett than I. Lisa Wolf Hall is our moderator. Lisa, please say hello to Renee. Hi, Renee. Hi, Renee. Hi. Hi, Lisa. Hi, it's glad to, uh, we're glad to have you with us. It's yes. great to hear your voice. Yes. It's good to talk to you again. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. I hope oh, that good. you're a Jimmy Buffett fan, or at least, you know, supportive. Yes and no. Yes and no. That's how Carl feels, That's how too. I feel about it. I know. Yeah. So, um, of course, I did see a musical about Jimmy Buffett Of course you well. did. Uh, so he recently... Did you see a musical about this cup of coffee that I'm drinking right I, here? I missed that one. Really? But um, no. hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll be able to get back to that yeah. one. He recently passed away September 1st of 2023 at the age of 76. So yeah. we are going to honor him this evening. And these are all true or false. We have six questions. And Renee, we're starting Does with that you. Does that give me a 50% chance of being right or wrong? You're good at math. Huh? huh? Math you is really your Renee, thing. Renee, what do you <laughs> think? Thing. Pretty good. You're you're impressed, right? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> the ever impressive Carl. Renee, Jimmy Buffett is the nephew of billionaire businessman Warren Buffett. True or false? Hmm, that's a good question. Mm. Well, false. I think it's false. It is false. All right. He absolutely has no relation to him, but they do have the same last name. And they're both so. rich. That is correct. Yeah. Or one of them is alive yeah. and one is not. Yes. Carl, Margaritaville was initially Tequilaville, but Jimmy Buffett needed an extra syllable to make it sing properly. Mm, that true sounds really, that sounds, I'm going to say true on that one. Renee? I'm going to say, I'm going to say true. Well, that's the wrong answer because it's false. We're that is just wrong. plain old incorrect. Ugh. Okay. Well, you're, you're tied up. Renee, he oh. once missed a Grammy Award ceremony because he was in jail. True or false? <laughs> I'm going to say true on that one. That, sound, that sounds true. I'm going to say true. Unfortunately for you both, it is false. 
Um, that was that did happen to Willie Nelson, though. I'm Sorry. sure it did. <laughs> but so not Jimmy Buffett. that it did. <laughs> Carl, he apologized when accepting the 1977 Grammy Award for Best Country Song, saying he wasn't really country. True or false? True. Renee, is he right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say false on that one. Very good. It is mm. false because guess what? He never won a Grammy Award. Oh, wow. So here's that for, didn't happen. Oh, here's for Renee. <laughs> and that's how you do here's it. Here's for Carl. You just disagree with Carl, and it usually works out for I you. I stink at this game. <laughs> Renee, he has written yeah. several best-selling books, including one called Where is Joe Merchant? True or false? Mm. Mm. Three ums. Where is Joe Merchant? False. false. I'll say false. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. Really? So, yeah. Here's your last question. I believe Renee is up one. She's up one, yeah. All right, here we go. Carl. Yes. He made a cameo appearance in the first episode of Lost as the doomed pilot of Oceanic Airlines Flight 815. False. Sure. It's false. Oh. It is false. That's but for... guess what? We tied. It's a tie. Oh. So, uh, Renee, here's how it works. I'm going to send you some fun CDs just for playing the game. All right? You know what, Carl? What? I've been listening to you since I was a teenager. Come on. Wow. Really? Yeah. Is he getting so, better with so, age? So, that, so you started listening to me five years ago? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is for you. Oh, you're still a winner in my book. <laughs> Way to go, Renee. I'm so glad you've been listening to me all these, what, two or three or four years. That's Great a lot job. of Carl. And uh, I'm going to send you some CDs, okay? Okay. All right, you guys. all have a good night. Bye, you Renee. Too. Have a nice Bye, evening. Bye, sweetie. When we come back, it's Somebody Knows Good True Crime Case. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. I'll tell you what, Lisa, since we launched the $100 Lifetime podcast... Holy cow, have I been sending a lot of coffee mugs in the mail. I go to the post office with boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of coffee mugs for people. And um, But you know what's been happening? I'm doing, a, I'm doing a bad job of explaining what this is because some of our classic radio club members are signing up for the mm-hmm. $100 podcast lifetime, and they shouldn't because they already get... If you're a Classic Radio Club member, you already get the podcast sent to you free as part of your club membership. Every Monday you get the podcast. So this uh, this offer, this uh, lifetime offer for the podcast is for everybody else. People that aren't, because you're already, if you're a Classic Radio Club member, you're like, you know, you're VIP, you're getting everything. So don't switch over. But if you're a $5.99 podcast subscriber or if someone... If you're someone who doesn't get the podcast and you'd like to get it, we have a special offer. You pay one time, 100 bucks, and you get it sent to you every Monday, the full five-hour Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities podcast, 
for the life of the show, we think we're going to be on at least another 15, 20, 30, at least 20 more years for sure. And you'll get it sent to you. It's just a one-time $100. And we also send you a coffee mug. And you and it has our pictures on it. And it says Hollywood 360. And I was talking to someone today. And they're like, oh, yeah, I drink out of that. And We've gotten some photos of people yeah. holding their mugs and drinking out of it. Drinking very sweet. and listening to the show. It's so nice. Thank you so much. But um, if you want to sign up for the uh, Lifetime podcast and get a coffee mug, just uh, go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. The very top of the website, there's two ways you can get the Lifetime with the coffee mug, or you can just do the $5.99 a month, and you don't get a coffee mug, but then you get, uh, you know, billed the $5.99 a month. But one time, 100 never pay again, get the coffee mug, get the Lifetime uh, podcast, sent to you uh, every single Monday. Or you can call our 815 number and talk to a live operator, 815-900-7535, 815-900-7535. And if you call tonight, either Lisa or I will answer the phone because we uh, turned it over to uh, to us in the studio. 815-900-7535. We'll be happy to sign you up to the Lifetime podcast uh, subscription and send you a coffee mug with our logo on it. All right. This is a really interesting series. It was a true crime series, and they dramatized actual murder cases on Somebody Knows. This is called The Unsolved Murder of Gene Croyle Long, August 17, 1950, Part 1 of Somebody Knows. Ladies and gentlemen, a $5,000 reward will be offered each week on the program immediately following this announcement. You out there, you who think you've committed the perfect crime, the perfect murder, and that there are no clues, no witnesses, that your identity is unknown, listen. Somebody knows. Yes, you, wherever you may be, no matter where you're hiding, somewhere, sometime, someone listening to this program is going to bring you to justice. Yes? Somebody Columbia Broadcasting System presents Somebody Knows, a program conceived in the public interest, dedicated to aiding the forces of law and order in the solution of this nation's unsolved crimes. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to recreate for you tonight all the known facts in an actual unsolved murder. Somewhere, someone among you has had contact with the killer or killers. Someone whose identity need never be known, has seen evidence or possesses information that can lead to the solution of this crime. In the public interest, the Columbia Broadcasting System offers $5,000 reward for evidence or information leading to the arrest and conviction of the killer in this unsolved murder. We ask you then to please listen carefully, for you may be the one to win this reward. Somebody knows. It may be you.
And now we open the files on one of this nation's unsolved murders. It's homicide file number 3867 of the Detroit, Michigan Police Department. The unsolved murder of Mrs. Jean Long. My shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie. The time is 8 p.m., Thursday, May 25, 1944. In the chapel of the Roy Rex Road Funeral Home, 2721 West Grand Boulevard, Detroit, Michigan, where a silver gray coffin lies banked with flowers, the Reverend Newell C. Leesimer, pastor of the 12th Street Evangelical Church, is officiating at memorial services for Mrs. Jean Long. Mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At the conclusion of the services, Mr. and Mrs. Robert L. Croyle, the parents of Mrs. Jean Long, sit hand in hand, dazed and bewildered in their grief. Jean, Jean was such a good girl. A good girl. She'd been a hard worker for the church for 18 years. Why did this happen to her? Why? Why? Let us see if it's possible to obtain an answer to Mrs. Croyle's question. Let us examine some of the more pertinent facts regarding the life and death of Jean Croyle Long. For 17 years, Jean Long lived a quiet, peaceful life in Detroit. Working during the day, contributing in her spare time to the 12th Street Evangelical Church. The only rift in her peaceful life was the failure of her marriage to Kenneth Long. For on Sunday, September 26, 1943, she made a final entry in the diary she'd been keeping. This is the end of our marriage. He left home for good. It is now Tuesday, May 23rd, 1944. The time is 8 o'clock in the evening. In the parsonage of the 12th Street Evangelical Church, the Reverend Newell C. Leesimer, pastor, is dictating letters Reverend to be sent to the members of his congregation who are in the service. Gene Long is cutting the typewriter stencils on them as he talks. ...aiding and abetting the war work. But never for one moment are you out of our thoughts or our prayers. May the good Lord bless you and keep you safe from harm. Well, I guess that does it, Jean. They're wonderful letters, Reverend. Shall I enclose the church news bulletin with these? Yes, yes, if you don't mind. Sorry I can't stay and help you, but Mrs. Leesimer and I have a few calls to make. Oh, that's all right. It'll only... Oh, say, I thought of a poem by Whittier the other day. I thought it might be nice to include in the bulletin. Oh, uh, which is it? The one that goes, I know not what the future hath of marvel or surprise, assured alone that life and death, his mercy underlies. Mm -hmm. I know not where his islands lift their fronded palms in air. I only know I cannot drift 
beyond his love and care. Included by all means, Jean. I'm sure its message will have great meaning for those who are facing possible death. Yes, I know it has great meaning for me. Well, I'll run over to the church office and get started on this right away. The letters will be waiting for you in the morning. Good night. Good night, Jean. Approximately 8.55 p.m., Tuesday, May 23, 1944. Alex Simpson, a friend of Mrs. Jean Long, approaches the Davison Street door of the 12th Street Evangelical Church. down into the basement of the church where the office is located. Jean? Are you down here, Jean? Jean? p.m. In the apartment of Mr. and Mrs. Robert Croyle on Oakman Boulevard, a telephone rings. Hello? Hello. Is Jean home? Jean? Why, no. Uh, this is Alex Simpson, Mrs. Croyle. Oh, yes, Mr. Simpson. How are you? Fine, thanks. Uh, say, I had a date with Jean for tonight, Mrs. Croyle. I was going to pick her up at the corner of 12th and Davidson at 9 o'clock, but she wasn't there when I drove by. Well, why don't you go into the church? I did, but uh, she wasn't there either, so I, I called you up. I thought she might have come home. Why, why, no. She she hasn't come home. Oh, I see. Well, I'm sure there's nothing to worry about. She probably forgot about our date and is on our way home now. Uh, sorry I troubled you. Good night, Mrs. Coyle. Yes. Good night, Mr. Simpson. It is now approximately 11.30 p.m. Mr. Leesimer stands in the doorway of the parsonage after saying goodnight to a guest. He notices that a light is burning in the basement office of the church. Oh, that's strange. Either Jean's working very late or... I'd better check on it. Jean? Jean, are you still here? 
Jean, are you still working? Jean? Oh, well. She must have just left and forgot to turn the lights out. Jean? Now a few minutes past midnight. Wednesday morning, May 24th, 1944. On the sixth floor of police headquarters at 1300 Bobian Street in Detroit, Michigan, a call comes into the headquarters switchboard. Police department. Hello? Hello? Police department. You, you, you've got to find her for me. You've got to find her. What is it, ma'am? Is someone missing? Yes, yes. It's my daughter, Jean. Jean Long. Jean she, she Long. hasn't come home. No one knows where she's gone. Oh, you've got to do something. She's disappeared. Mmm, that's the uh, first portion of Somebody Knows... August 17th, 1950. This was a summer replacement for suspense back in 1950. And um, they were thinking about bringing it back to the regular season, but never did. There was like, I don't know, eight or nine episodes. We have them all in pretty good sound. Hope you're enjoying this episode from August 17th, 1950. We'll get right back to it. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Yeah. This is Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. And you're right? Carl Yeah, that's Amari. right. I am. <laughs> Carl. Last time I checked, yeah. that's what it says on my ID, you know. So um, you're Lisa Wolf. last time I checked, too. That's right. Mike Costella is, I our, am here. is our executive producer. Still down the hall uh, there. Tell you what, this show, we would it would be like, that's what you hear if it wasn't for Mike Costella. True. You know? Um, as good as you are, Lisa, and um, you know I'm okay. You're right. Mike puts it all together, makes it happen. He doesn't get enough uh, credit, so uh, let's give him a, let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, thank you. He is uh, you know kind of a so- unsung hero over there. I mean, he's like puts the whole show on the air. And but I tell you what, I do get emails and I do get texts from people saying, "Hey, say hi to Mike yep, for me." me too. I never tell him. But he does get Same. a lot. Of, yeah. Same. He does get a lot of those. Hey, tell Mike. He's doing so a great job. So we're telling you now. Yeah, we're telling you now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if it wasn't for Mike, uh, what would we what would we do? I don't know. So, I don't know. 
And he makes these shows sound so great and then makes us sound great, does these amazing bumpers in and out, puts all the commercials in, puts the podcast, does the classic radio club. I mean, he does all these music clips and TV clips and movie clips. It's a lot lot of work. It's a lot of stuff. So, uh, hey, kudos to Mike Bubble Bath Costello. Thank you. Uh, We're listening to Somebody Knows. This was a really good series. There was only eight of them. I checked. There was only eight episodes. Um, One of the cases was the murder of Elizabeth Short, the victim in the notorious Black Dahlia case. We have aired that before. And this had some of L.A.'s best supporting players, Harry Bartell, William Conrad, Ben Wright. Um, In this particular episode, Charlotte Lawrence stars as uh, Jean Croyalong, and this is called The Unsolved Murder of Jean Croyalong. August 17th, 1950. Let's get back to it here. Somebody Knows. Now back to Somebody Knows and a true case history of an actual murder. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll continue with the rest of the factual information concerning homicide file number 3867 from the records of the Detroit, Michigan Police Department. The unsolved murder of Mrs. Jean Long. Remember, $5,000 will be paid for information leading to the arrest and conviction of her killer. It is now about nine in the morning, Wednesday, May 24th, 1944. Reverend Leesimer leaves his study and starts toward the side door of the parsonage. Noel, are you going over to the church? Oh, yes, dear. I want to pick up those letters that Jean got ready for me last night. Well, while you're there, you'd better look at the flowers on the altar. The choir's going to meet tonight. Yes, that's right. Those flowers are probably drooping by now. I'll take care of them. Better take care of them first. <gasps> no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Hello? Bill. Bill, this is Newell. Can, can you come over to the church right away? Yes, something terrible has happened. Jean Long is dead. The Reverend Leesimer's call has been to Mr. William A. Hammond, Vice President of the Board of Trustees of the 12th Street Evangelical Church. It takes Mr. Hammond about five minutes to arrive at the parsonage, and Mr. Leesimer leads him immediately into the nave of the church and down the middle aisle. You're sure she's Jean Long? Those are her clothes, Bill. What's that paper covering her face? Hmm? I know not what the future hath of marvel or surprise. Oh, dear. Assured alone that life and death his mercy underlies. I know not where his islands lift the fonded palms in air. What? I only know I cannot drift beyond his love and care. What is it, Nil? 
a poem by Whittier. Jean wanted to... That must be the church news bulletin lying across her face. Did you place it there? No. We'd better call the police. Police Department. My name is Newell C. Leesimer. I'm pastor of the 12th Street Evangelical Church at the northeast corner of 12th and Davison. Yes, Mr. Leesimer? I, I, I want to report the death of my secretary. I, I believe she may have been murdered. Where is she, Mr. Leesimer? In the church. The nave. She's... We'll have some men out there right away. Don't touch anything. Just stand... The emergency board operator immediately relays the information across the sixth floor of police headquarters to the operator of the West Side radio station, KQA-371. And the operator sets in motion the speedy, precise machinery of the Detroit police force. Within a few minutes, Chief of Detectives Paul H. Wenzel, Senior Inspector of Detectives Edward Graff, and Detective Inspector John Whitman, commanding the homicide squad, arrive at the scene. The investigation into the death of Gene Long begins. The initial homicide report is made by Detective Lieutenant Harry W. O'Brien of the Homicide Squad, contains in part the following information. Upon arriving at the church, we found the body of Mrs. Jean Long, 40 years old, of 3625 Oakman Boulevard, lying in the nave. Her clothing had been disarranged, and she had been stabbed three times in the chest. The left side of her face was badly swollen, and three teeth had been dislodged, and her body was covered with blood. Her wristwatch, with the band broken, which was found near the body, had run down at 8.34 o'clock. Coroner's investigator, Tony Saputi, responds to a call to the coroner's office and removes the body to the Wayne County morgue. A post-mortem examination is begun by Dr. Paul A. Kleba, Wayne County medical examiner, and Dr. Donald H. Comp, pathologist. The cause of death... Internal hemorrhage following penetrating puncture wound to the aorta. There is no evidence of criminal assault. A search is conducted for the missing murder weapon. It is believed at first that the murder was committed with some sort of pocket knife. Then in the small kitchen, joining the basement office. Uh, say, Inspector, mind taking a look at this? Here in this drawer. The lab men have finished the checking for prints, and I think we might check for a couple of more things. <clears> hmm. <throat> Paring knife. Yeah, it looks clean, all right. But it's got about a four-inch blade. It's strong enough to make the wounds we saw. Okay, I'll have Lieutenant Payne check for blood reactions. Fine. Report from Detective Lieutenant James Payne, head of the Police Scientific Laboratory states. We've obtained positive blood reactions on the paring knife. Blood reactions were also obtained in the kitchen sink and in the trap under the sink. There would seem to be a little doubt that this was the weapon used in the killing of Gene Long. One of the most important clues in the case is found lying on the floor about four feet from the body. It is a portion of a man's fingernail. It is about a quarter of an inch long and about nine-sixteenths of an inch in width. The portion of fingernail is examined by Dr. Comp, the pathologist, and he reports... The uh, nail is from the thumb, middle, or ring finger of a man's hand. Uh, it's my opinion that this man is not a day laborer as the nail is fairly well groomed. The nail uh, contains pieces of flesh and blood. It was evidently torn away violently during the struggle 
preceding Mrs. Long's death. Meanwhile, an intensive and exhaustive investigation is made in an attempt to uncover some clue as to the identity of Mrs. Long's killer, to determine some motive for her death. The entire church membership, her friends, relatives, acquaintances are questioned. The results are negative. However, from the thorough examination made at the scene of the crime, a number of facts are determined. A number of deductions are made. Now here are those facts, those deductions, as expressed by Detective Lieutenant Lane. The crime took place somewhere between the hours of 8 and 9 o'clock in the evening. No struggle took place in the office. Mrs. Long's work had not been completed. The counter on the mimeograph machine showed only 89 copies of the news bulletins run off. And there were two chairs at the desk and two stacks of envelopes in the process of being filled with the bulletins. As for the church bulletins spread over the dead woman's face, only someone who knew her would have done that. Because only someone who knew his victim well would have found it so unbearable to look at her dead face. From these facts, these deductions, it is possible to form a theory as to what occurred on the night of Tuesday, May 23rd, 1944, to make a possible recreation of the murder of Mrs. Jean Long. Now here is our recreation of that crime. It is sometime after 8 o'clock on the evening of Tuesday, May 23rd, 1944. In the basement office of the 12th Street Evangelical Church, Jean Long is turning out copies of the church news bulletin on the mimeograph machine. Oh, someone must be at this. Who's there? Oh, it's you. Come in. You're just in time. I haven't finished my work yet. I'll do you a great big favor and let you help me with it. Jean Long and her visitor go down to the basement office where she's been working. Here, you can help me stuff these envelopes. Take that chair and I'll use this. Make yourself useful now. Well, be careful For some now, time, Jean Long and her visitor work at stuffing the envelopes with the prepared news bulletins. They laugh and talk for a while as they work. Then something happens. The visitor gets to his feet and walks out of the office into the adjoining kitchen. He opens the drawer containing the kitchen utensils, looks down at it for a moment. Then he removes the paring knife with a four-inch blade. He starts to return to the office. You know we'll never get through here if you keep wandering around like... Now, what in the world are you going to do with that paring knife? No. No, you must be crazy. No! Terrified, Jean Long runs out of the office, her visitor following closely behind. At the top of the stairs, she tries to turn toward the outer door, but he moves in front of her. She turns and runs into the nave of the church. The visitor is right behind her now. She lunges for her, grasping the rear of her dress. No, no, don't. Don't. No, don't. It is now Sunday morning, May 28th, 1944. 
five days after the death of Mrs. Jean Long. Services are being held in the 12th Street Evangelical Church. There's no surreptitious whispering. No eyes are turned toward the center aisle. The aisle down which Jean Long had walked 17 years before to the slow strains of the wedding march. The aisle where Jean Long's body was found. We come today with hearts and minds shocked by the events of the past week. Our minds are perplexed as to what would cause this tragic event to take place. We pray that this grave problem shall be solved and should not be content until justice is met. Now listen carefully, please. Listen, all of you, wherever you may be. We're going to give you a recapitulation of pertinent facts in the unsolved murder of Jean Croyle Long. Better make a note of them. And remember, by following the instructions we shall give you in a moment, you may be the one to earn a $5,000 reward. Now, here are the actual facts in the case. Mrs. Jean Croyle Long, 40 years of age, was stabbed to death at the 12th Street Evangelical Church... 12th Street and Davison Avenue in Detroit, Michigan. The time, somewhere between 8 and 9 o'clock in the evening, Tuesday, May 23rd, 1944. The police believe that the crime was committed by a person whom Mrs. Long knew rather well. The only tangible clue is a portion of a man's fingernail. It was apparently torn away during the struggle preceding Mrs. Long's death. The nail is from the thumb, middle, or ring finger. The nail is fairly well-groomed, indicating that the man was probably not a day laborer. Ladies and gentlemen, if any of you possesses information that may have a bearing on the unsolved murder of Jean Croyle Long, and please don't send guesses or hunches, but only actual, authentic information, follow these instructions so that your name and identity need never be made known unless you wish. Now listen carefully. Write your information on a plain sheet of paper. Do not sign your name. Instead, sign it with six numbers, any arrangement of any six numbers. Then tear off a blank corner of that paper with a ragged edge. Write the same six numbers on that corner and keep it. Mail the rest of the paper with the information to Somebody Knows, Hollywood, California. You need tell no one what you have done. Mail your letter to Somebody Knows, Hollywood, California. And if the information you've supplied leads to the arrest and conviction of the killer of Mrs. Jean Long, we'll announce your signature number on this program. Then, if you don't want your name to be known, go to your lawyer or your doctor, your priest, minister, or rabbi, and have him present the torn corner of the paper to any CBS station. In this way, you do not need to appear in person. If the torn corner matches the original paper containing the information, the $5,000 reward will be yours. Remember, you, wherever you are, you whose name need never be known, may win a reward of $5,000. Next week at this same time, we'll present another true case history of unsolved murder. It's homicide file number DR-295771 from the records of the Los Angeles, California Police Department. The unsolved murder of Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia.
you out there, you who have murdered in cold blood and think you've gotten away with it, listen, you cannot escape. There is no perfect crime. Remember, you are not unknown. Somebody knows. Tonight's case was written by Sidney Marshall from information in the files of the Detroit, Michigan Police Department. Research was by Maurice Zim. Music was composed and played by Milton Charles. Somebody Knows is a James L. Safier production in association with CBS by arrangement with the Chicago Sun-Times and is based on a copyright owned by W.L. Finstad. It was narrated and directed by Jack Johnstone. In order to be eligible for the reward, letters containing actual, authentic information leading to the arrest and conviction of the killer or killers of Mrs. Jean Long must be addressed to Somebody Knows, Hollywood, California, and must be postmarked not later than midnight, September 6, 1950. Arrest of the guilty person or persons must occur within 90 days of that date, and conviction must be within one year of tonight's broadcast. If more than one person gives the information leading to conviction, our judges will divide the $5,000 reward among them in proportion to the importance the judges attach to the facts supplied. And in this, the decision of our judges will be final. Until next Thursday at the same time, this is John Jacobs saying good night and remember... Somebody knows. This is CBS, where you find Arthur Godfrey's daytime program every Monday through Friday on the Columbia Broadcasting System. There's just like way too many rules and regulations to that, you know? I'm not going to send in who I think killed uh, that poor lady. Too many rules. You could use I, the money, though. I could. 5000 <laughs> Can you imagine back then? I mean, 5000 is a lot of money now. It sure is. Can you imagine what 5000 was? I'm going to guess. It was about probably 10 to 12 times. So it was probably like... They were giving away seventy or eighty thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. It sure right? is. So I bet you a lot of people were like, "Yeah, I think I know who that is." You know, scribbling it down on paper. <laughs> but there was a lot of rules and regulations, wasn't there? I... They had to be by this time. You had to mail it in. Then they had uh, to be convicted by this point, and then within a year of the broadcast, they had to be you know executed. And it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot to remember. A lot to remember. Anyway, um, the unsolved murder of Jean Croyle Long, August 17th, 1950, Charlotte Lawrence playing the uh, role of the of the poor girl. She was like 17 years old. Ugh, horrible. Anyway, somebody knows. Hope you enjoyed that CBS broadcast. Time for this month in music history. All right. Uh, this edition is 1990s, and this song goes back to 1990. Step by step. Do you remember it? I do not. Uh, this is New Kids on the Block. This okay. is sort of the group that started the boy band trend no. in the 90s. Spent three weeks in the top spot of the Billboard charts. And this is... Uh, I couldn't tell you one song by... Well, whoever used the Backstreet Boys? No, or it's New Kids on the oh, Block. I could I get them confused. They're I know, like they're the same all, band. Yeah, it's all the same. basically the same band. Same young guys. <laughs> um, I, I could not tell you one song. Well, now you know one. Step by called? step. All right. 
And within eight seconds, I'll forget the name of it. Well, that's because there's a lot to remember. You mentioned that. What? Who? (laughs) What band? Step by Step. New Kids on the Block, 1990. All right. Thanks, Lisa Wolf. More of Hollywood 360 after this short break. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. In our next hour, Tom Collins stars in The Adventures of Frank Race from 1949. But first, we're going to need a Hollywood 360 listener contestant to play. Name that tune all about Jimmy Buffett. If you know a few Jimmy Buffett songs, I, you're uh, ahead of the game here. I've eaten at a lot of Buffets before. The Buffets, yes. Yeah. All you can eat Can't Buffets. Can't you tell? <laughs> uh, if you are a Jimmy Buffett, all you can eat Buffett fan, give us a call 312 642 5600. We need caller four. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier. 